Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we are going to continue our preview of the 2020 college football season again, as far as we know. Obviously, still so much that has to be un- that has to be decided still with what the 2020 college football season will look like, just like uh, as it is with the NFL. But uh, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, we are going to keep chugging along as we now turn our eyes to the Big 12 conference. And so with that being said, a ton of playmakers we're going to cover today on the offensive side of the ball. Some guys you may not have heard of on the defensive side. We're going to cover all of those players with Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler, just like we did last week for our Outside the Power 5 conference preview. If you haven't already, make sure you go check that podcast out. But to start things off, we're going to talk with a guy out in Oklahoma. He covers the Oklahoma State Cowboys for the Oklahoman, and that is Scott Wright. He's going to join us today for Mr. Relevant. We're going to talk about some of the Oklahoma State players, but just get it a little bit of a snapshot into what college football could like or could look like here in the Big 12 as we get closer and closer to the hopefully the start of the 2020 college football season. Let's get things started here with Scott Wright. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, as I mentioned, really happy to welcome in Scott Wright here to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Scott covers Oklahoma State for the Oklahomans. Scott, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Frank. So, so far, over the last couple of weeks, the, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 conferences, a couple of weeks ago, uh, made the announcement that both are going to do conference-only schedules. So, as we sit here today on Tuesday, we're still awaiting news for the ACC, the SEC, and also the Big 12, who we're going to be talking about uh, here today. What is the latest on that, and how do you think things are going to pan out uh, with the Big 12? Obviously, look, there's so much that's still up in the air. We know that, obviously, there's a lot of decision-making left, but uh, sitting here as we sit here on, what is this, Tuesday the 21st, how do you feel that this is going to pan out with the Big 12 this year? You know, it's really interesting because, you know, a team like Oklahoma State, they lost one of their opening opponents, Oregon State being in the Pac-12. Uh, that game is gone now. Uh, and they're pursuing it as if they're going to play a full season. Now, that could change any time in the next 10 days. The Big 12 said that by the end of the month, they want to have a decision made. Um, But right now, teams are acting as if they're needing to fill those holes in their schedules, just like Oklahoma State's trying to do. So um, it feels like they're going to try to do it. I don't know that it's necessarily going to work out that way. I think that ultimately, uh, for just for the sake of travel and things like that, that that the Big 12 and the other other, uh, Power 5 conferences are – ultimately going to decide to stick with the uh, with the first two conferences that made the, the decision to go conference only. Um, that's kind of my gut feeling, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I guess at this stage, are, are they even – are they talking with each other, trying to see if they can schedule games with each other? So they lose Oregon State. Would Oklahoma State try and schedule with, you know, a Texas A&M or, or somebody somewhat local that is still going to play out of conference or trying to play out of conference? Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that's definitely something that they're uh, that they're looking at right now because um, obviously a lot of teams lost games uh, because of the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten decisions. So there's a lot of teams around this area uh, that are are possibilities for uh, 
before Oklahoma State, somebody like Arkansas even um, you know, is looking for an opponent. So there are uh, there's a lot of conversations going on and uh, trying to figure out. It's a it's a big puzzle right now that people are trying to put together. Sure. Well, so obviously so much, like we said, uh, that still needs to be decided. But what there's not a lot of mystery with, there are some two of the best players in this conference uh, playing for the Cowboys this year, and that's Tylen Wallace at wide receiver, Chuba Hubbard at running back. Tell us about these guys. Obviously, you've gotten to have a lot more interaction with them than you know 99.9% of the population uh, from a media standpoint. So I'm excited to kind of get your take on both these guys, what they're like away from the field, and what it's been like to cover them. I'll start with Tylen Wallace because he's um, he's the guy that I think will probably draft it higher out of the two, even though Chew Hubbard might be the most talented player in the uh, in the conference and a, uh, a Heisman contender. I think at the next level, uh, the receiver is going to get uh, a little bit more love. So Tylen Wallace is a uh, he's a very laid back guy, a lot of fun to talk to, a lot of fun to cover. Uh, very open and honest. He has a twin brother who uh, suffered t- three torn ACLs and, uh, and had to give up football and and uh, became a, a student assistant coach and is uh, pursuing that that path for his career. Um, but Tylen is a guy that uh, that is, you know, he plays way bigger. He's listed at, at six feet, 185 pounds. He, he plays way bigger than that. He's the best receiver I've ever seen in making contested catches. Uh, he, uh, he, he makes catches in traffic and, and with guys hanging all over him that are just, uh, just amazing. Um, and he understands, uh, you know, he can run all the routes. He can, he can do everything. He understands the position incredibly well uh, with Chuba Hubbard. He, I, I think he's a, uh, he's got to be an immediate Heisman contender right now. One of the top, uh, one of the top guys in the country, uh, led the nation in rushing last year. Off the field, he's a little bit, uh, he's a little bit more serious. We've seen that side of him uh, really come out here lately, especially with, uh, uh, you know, with his interactions on social media and, um, you know, the things that he did to uh, try to affect some change within the football program. He used uh, used Twitter to uh, uh, to to get some change happening within the football program in, t- in terms of how the players were being treated um, and how they were being uh, being viewed by Mike Gundy, the head coach. So uh, that's been really important. He is uh, he's he's a, a fairly uh, a fairly uh, protected when it comes to dealing with the media. He doesn't like to talk a lot about uh, about uh, you know you know personal things and things like that. But, uh, but he's a really unique guy and, and we'll tell you some stories from time to time about growing up in Canada that are, uh, that are a lot of fun. And he's uh, really proud of his roots in, uh, in those terms. Yeah. Re- reading about his background uh, in preparation for this podcast. And even I remember the, the feature that was done on him uh, on college game day last fall, you, you kind of get a peek into uh, you know, his upbringing. And I know his, you know, his, uh, it was a, a one parent household for a while before his mother uh, got remarried, his stepfather, a big part of his life. So uh, a really inspiring story, uh, certainly from Chuba Hubbard, who is uh, one of the most explosive playmakers in all of college football. Like I said, not much mystery with Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, but thanks so much uh, for that insight. The last question I want to ask you before we let you go, is there anybody that's kind of under the radar for, on a national stage, stage at this point? Obviously, I think most college football NFL draft fans are aware of Wallace and of Hubbard, but is there anybody else that you look at and say, man, like, 
this guy should be getting a little bit more love on a national stage, or maybe he's on the way up and on the coming. We say like, look, maybe we're not for next year's draft, but you know, down the line, we're definitely going to be talking about this guy when it comes to the next level of football. There's uh, there's three names I'm going to throw out at you. Okay. One that uh, one that's a senior, Tevin Jenkins. Uh, he's been a right tackle most of his career, moving to left tackle this season. Big, physical, and athletic. He's been the best lineman on this team for a couple of years now. I think he's got a chance to, because of that versatility, I think he's going to be a, 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 a guy that NFL types really like. I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round draft pick, but he's going to be a guy that is uh, is drafted and, and plays at the next level. Uh, a guy that, that has all the tools and just hasn't really had a, a whole lot of chance to show it yet is Jelani Woods, the tight end. 6'7", 275. He, he was a quarterback his first uh, his first year and a half on campus, um, but finally made that move to tight end. He's got 23 passes the last two years and is really raw as a tight end. He's incredibly athletic for as big as he is. He's learning how to block really well and, and I think has a chance to uh, – he's just scratched the surface on what he can be. You see what tight ends have become at the next level, and, uh, and he's going to fit right in, I think, when he gets to the NFL. And, 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 you know, he's just a junior right now, so I think two more years of, uh, of polish and he's ready to go. And then a guy who's going to be a, a junior this year, and, and if he has a really good year, I could see him coming out early, is a defensive tackle named Israel Antoine. Um, big and physical. He's played some defensive end, some some uh, defensive tackle. He's about 3'10 three t- three right now and 6'4". And uh, and that versatility I think is valuable for him because he can uh, he can play in a three man line, he can play in a four man line, and uh, it doesn't matter where he's at. Draws a lot of double teams, so his stats aren't great, uh, but he creates a lot of opportunities for other guys to go make plays. Well, Scott, that's that's awesome, man. The three big names uh, certainly for us to keep an eye on, and you made uh, compelling cases for all three in terms of why uh, they should be on the radar. Thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Uh, we'll hope, hopefully see we'll some uh, some Big 12 football here in the next coming weeks. Scott, thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, excited for the second installment of our 2020 conference previews. And again, we're previewing these conferences because we don't know when college football is going to start, but we know that these are the top players that are enrolled at these schools in these programs. And we're talking about the Big 12 this week. And Let's get, let's get things uh, going right away, guys. We're going to go with the top prospects. This is the top prospect, regardless of position, in the entire Big 12 Conference for the 2021 NFL Draft. Dane, we will start with you this week. Who do you have here for the top prospect in all of, 2021, uh, in all of 2020 in the Big 12? I went with Samuel Cosme, uh, okay. the left tackle from Texas. Uh, really fluid athlete, great feet. You know, his tape, it shows some some leverage issues, some technique issues. So I think his pass set quickness is better than his pass set mechanics. But I think most of his issues are fixable. And, and I thought he showed growth throughout the season. Love the matchup between him and Clavion Chason and the LSU-Texas matchup early yep. last year. Both, I think it showed, you know, where he wins and where he, he struggles, needs to get better a little bit. But I'm always encouraged when I study a player – and I see the intriguing traits that I know translate. And then I check with my sources at the program and they back it up with positive character feedback. And that's what I got with Cosme. Three-star kid, worked his butt off to get noticed. Uh, one of the hardest workers in the program. 
So he enters the season as my OT number two behind mm-hmm. only Penny Sewell. So I don't think he's a necessarily a lock first rounder right now, but he's right there in that top 50 mix. He's got a chance to ascend throughout the process. Yeah, I did Cosme uh, last week, I think. And to me, like watching him, the physical tools are all there. I think he's got some things to clean up and pass protection. One of the things that I think he does a little bit too often, his hips get turned to the sideline way too quickly, way too consistently. It kind of leaves that B gap a little bit vulnerable. But um, and I think he's got some hand things that he still has to kind of clean up. But I mean, the kid's strong. He's got light feet. He's got right tackle and left tackle experience. The guy that he just like screams to me, like so many similarities with Taylor Decker. When Taylor Decker was coming out of Ohio State, I think they're built similarly. Like that. Uh, I thought that Decker had some of the same kind of issues. And, and when I watch Cosme, I don't see a guy that I think is going to be like this world beater, like uh, every year he's going to be in the all-pro running. But I think he's just going to be a solid NFL starter, just like how Taylor Decker has kind of turned out to be for the Detroit Lions. To me, like Cosme just screams that. But I know that you've done Cosme as well. Yeah, I seen him in person a couple times and studied him pretty closely watching Clavion Chasen last year. I thought that was one of the better tackles he had gone against. And Cosme had a lot of love. He could have come out last year. I think Dane, at one point, he was number 66 overall on your big board, mm-hmm. was number 10 tackle, I think, in December for you. So he's a guy that probably could have squeezed into day two of the draft last year. My main issue after watching that LSU game last year and seeing him in person against Kansas State I just thought he needed to develop a little bit more muscle through his frame and through his core, just really anchor down some of those bull rushes that uh, Clavion Chasen hit him with. But other than that, man, he has the size, he has the length, he has the frame, he's experienced at left tackle, right tackle. He's a pretty young kid. Uh, I'm glad he stayed for his senior year, excuse me, his redshirt junior year, I guess, uh, uh, his third year there. But uh, he's a really interesting player, and he's going to be right up there after Penny Sewell with – you know, Leatherwood and uh, Liam Eckenberg and Walker Little, Larry Jackson, another good tackle class. Yeah, no question. Ben, who is the uh, the top player for you in this conference? Well, I obviously feel like we have to talk about Oklahoma State running back Juba Hubbard uh, with his prolific 2,000-yard, 21-touchdown season last year, the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Really interesting kind of backstory coming from Canada. Uh, being a four-star high recruit, just like Neville Gallimore coming from Canada. Must be something in the recruiting ties with uh, Lincoln Riley and the Stoops going up north there. Uh, but this kid's got track-level, world-class speed as a sprinter. He competed in the world junior level as a sprinter with impressive 100-meter, 200-meter dashes. And you see that right away at Oklahoma State when they get him out into the open field, especially the second and third level. You aren't catching this guy. They run a lot of wide zone, outside zone scheme, which allows him to be patient, uh, sift and kind of feel for those alleys, put his foot in the ground, and you see that home run speed. Uh, some of the issues with him is that kind of patience. Sometimes he looks too too prematurely to bounce and maybe a little too patient just to stick his nose in and fight for those extra yards. I want to see him lower his pads and maybe get the dirty yards a little bit more in 2020. A little bit of softness and pass pro and some of the lead blocking schemes on the QB follows and some uh, lead jet concepts where he's the lead blocker. He's six one, so he's a little bit tall. I'd like to see him lower his pad just a little bit more, finish some runs a little bit more, move the pile, get the tough yards that the NFL really covets. And I really see a similar player to Matt Forte who was also an upright type of running back, a guy that kind of struggled to get his pads down, but was really slippery, had a slashing type of uh, profile to his game, really patient and had the long speed. So, you know, he's a player with a lot of tools, a lot of speed. Now I just want to see him clean up his game and really refine 
you know, the uh, all the duties of being a running back. Yeah, I, to me, like I would, I could make the argument that the best prospect is his teammate Tylen Wallace, but we'll just continue the conversation here with Chuba because um, you know you mentioned Matt Forte, the guy that he reminded me most of, and I think when you're like kind kind of stacking uh, positives and negatives about his game. Chuba Hubbard and Dalvin Cook, I think, are very, very similar. I think Dalvin Cook, you know, he was a little bit uh, messier off the field, right? There was, like, the rumored, you know, off-field stuff, the medicals you kind of worried about with Dalvin Cook. You don't really have that with Chuba Hubbard, but this guy's game is all about speed, one-cut runs, like, put his foot in the ground and get downhill. You love his ability to create the big play. And in a league that's all about the big play, that's what this guy can bring. I mean, he led uh, all of FBS last year in runs of over 15 yards. Uh, he led them in rushing yards. He led the country in all-purpose yards. You know, this is a guy that, you know, has the ability to pick up large chunks of yardage in a, in a hurry. A couple things that worry me, and it's, again, kind of similar to, to Dalvin Cook, right? Ball security was an issue for Dalvin. It's an issue for Chuba Hubbard. He had five fumbles last year. He ended up not losing any, but he had a couple on the goal line. He's got to take care, better care of the football. A lot of his forced missed tackles, I think, are really – because I'm, I'm big. You guys both know from talking to me. I'm a big fan of running backs that can make that first man miss. I don't think that he's got, like, a ton of wiggle and shake, and I don't think he's a power back, obviously, to kind of run through contact on a consistent basis. But he does, he is kind of sneaky in terms of forcing missed tackles because of his speed to erase angles and get to the perimeter and just kind of outrun people. Now you could say whether how often is that going to happen in the NFL, and I think that that's a valid argument. But this guy, this is a back that is built on his speed, his ability to, again to just stick his foot in the ground and go. Teammates love him. Everything that I've, I've talked with some of his former teammates, and they all love him. Um, you know, and obviously, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, uh, he has made you know some uh, you know big uh, movements off the field to try and get uh, better situations for he and his teammates out there in Stillwater. But I think when you look at Chuba Hubbard, uh, this is a guy that, look, to me, his game, in today's NFL, teams are going to find ways to get him in space. And if you get him into an, into an outside stretch zone scheme, uh, I think he could make a lot of hay in the NFL. But, Fran, I think a lot of those issues you just brought up are interesting. If he doesn't have a lot of that wiggle to make the first man miss and doesn't run with a lot of power and really pretty limited in the pass game, you know, kind of a raw pass catcher and they don't really feature him in the pass game a whole lot, where is that value as far as projecting to a draft slot in the NFL? And I love the term that Greg Cosell used for Saquon Barkley a couple years ago and that he's a run-to-daylight running back. And that was a Saquon Barkley thing. And obviously he's had to change his game slightly to the NFL and find some of those tougher yards between the tackles. And I'd always look for that daylight to show off that four, three speed Chubba. We know he has the speed, but can he be an efficient down to down running back in the NFL? And I think there's a lot more questions I think than people are thinking with Chubba Hubbard coming off of that really prolific season. I talked with, uh, with Texas defensive end Malcolm Roach at the combine this year. Um, and he told me that Chuba Hubbard by far was the toughest guy he saw in a game this year. And I thought that was interesting because you know, I actually went back and I watched this game. He didn't have his most prolific game against the Longhorns, but Malcolm Roach told me, he said, we hit him a ton in that game. If you watch early, he took some shots uh, in that game. Ben, you talked about it. He, he runs a little bit high. When he gets hit, he goes down hard. So, um, you know, he said, look, we hit him a lot in that game. But one thing I noticed was he continued to run hard every play. And while he's not powerful, he does run hard. And he continued to run into each defender with the same contact every single play. He took a lot of shots, but he also delivered some. At the end of that game, I had a lot of respect for Chuba Hubbard. And I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, anecdote there from uh, one of his opponents. When you're talking about a guy that maybe is going to be a powerful runner, maybe not the, the 
prototypical grinder. We talk about guys like even like a Jonathan Taylor last year, who you know you could hand it to in the NFL 18, 20, 22 times in a game and feel good about it. I don't know that Chuba will ever be that guy. I didn't know that Dalvin Cook was going to be that guy, and he has turned into – so that's why I, I think he's going to be a really interesting case study moving forward. Uh, and just looking at the profile, some of these backs taken early last year, you had DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon. What's the kind of collective profile of all those guys? Tough, can lower the pads, play between the tackles, play through contact extremely well. Obviously skipped over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there, who was the first running back off there. But um, I think all these other guys kind of fit a different mold that I think there's going to be some more questions with how Hubbard's going to be using the NFL and where do you draft a player like that? It's obviously becoming more of a spacing game in the NFL until it's not, until a team wants to still load up the personnel and smash mouth yet, which is still going to always have a place. And uh, I think NFL offenses are cyclical. And at some point it's going to come back to that. Uh, and it's just factoring in where Hubbard's place in the pecking order of a draft falls. Dave, yeah. where, did, where did you fall on him? I was going to ask you, yeah. Yeah, I probably echo a lot of what you've said. I think the field acceleration is just outstanding. Um, and it's not just – once he gets to the second level and breaks off the big run, because we know he can do that. He had 15 runs of 30 plus yards uh, just last year, which is a remarkable number. Uh, and he went over a hundred yards rushing in every single game, except for one. And that was the McNeese state game because they only let him have eight carries. Uh, so this is a guy that the production's there, but I was really impressed with his acceleration through the hole uh, and be able to hit the gas that's what, you know, I think you're right. He doesn't really have that wiggle, but his ability to get through the line of scrimmage and attack that second level, that is a, uh, that is a weapon. And, and that is something that, that straight line burst, he can clear the run lane. Uh, there's a lot to like about him in, in certain schemes. I don't think he's going to be for everybody. Uh, the ball yep. security was one thing that really jumped out. Um, he's had a fumble once every 55 touches uh, so far in college. That's, that's an issue. Uh, but, you know, moving forward, uh, I'm excited if he can kind of match the production that he had last year going over 2,000 rushing yards. It's not easy to do, but he's in an offense that, that can certainly help him do that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move forward here to the next category and our top senior on offense. And I mentioned that to me, like if I were to make an argument for who the top overall prospect would be in this conference, I'd make a pretty good argument for Tylen Wallace, senior or otherwise. Uh, to me, like when I watched Tylen, there were – when you're talking about like, all right, we're, again, what are the positives? What are the negatives? There aren't a lot of differences in my mind between a Tylen Wallace and like CD lamb and CD lamb. I think some of his strengths might be accentuated a little bit more than Tylen. And we've seen a little bit more of a sample size. Tylen Wallace got hurt uh, towards the back end of last year with the torn ACL. We have to see what he looks like coming off that injury for sure. Um, but this is a guy who plays bigger than his size. He's listed six foot, 185 pounds. But I love his ability after the catch. Hard-nosed guy with the ball in his hands. He can run through tacklers and stuff like that. We saw those kinds of plays from C.D. Lamb last year. He's automatic at the catch point. Doesn't put the ball on the ground, much like C.D. Lamb. I think he's a little bit raw as a route runner, obviously coming from that offense, too. He only runs routes from one side of the field. You know, there's things that he's going to have to work on, um, you know, at the top of his stem and things like, of that nature. I don't know that it quite projects well to the NFL, so there's going to be a little bit of growing pain there. But – uh, to me, this is a kid who's a slick, fluid athlete. He can get out of his stance really quickly. I like his ability to get the top speed. He's got unique play strength, and I love his competitiveness in all areas of the field. So two guys that I wrote down were C.D. Lamb and then also uh, a guy that we talked about just a few weeks ago, uh, Ben, you and I, when we talked about 
these uh, 2016 NFL draft. This was a guy that I was a big, big fan of coming out of the University of Pittsburgh, and that's Tyler Boyd. I think that Tyler Wallace has some similarities to both guys. I think he's got some inside-outside versatility that up to this point has not been uh, realized just playing in the scope of that offense. But I think this guy's an NFL starter. I, I liked everything that I saw from Tylen Wallace, knowing that he's going to have some limitations because of that scheme and what he's asked to do. Um, to me, like, I, I liked Tylen Wallace. Checked a lot of boxes then. Yeah, Fran, every year I seem to fall in love with a receiver that's undersized but just does so much more than his frame or his height would suggest. And whether that's Tyler Lockett or Sterling Shepard or Taewon Taylor, I see a lot of things that Tyler Lockett did at Kansas State with Tylen Wallace. He's sudden to win quickly. He's got the long speed to win vertically. He's tough at the catch point, tough after the catch, um, can win over the middle of the field. His quarterback looks for him to bail him out along the sideline and jump ball situations. Let's just go through some of the cons real quick because when you just watch his tape, it's really impressive. But he had the unfortunate torn ACL in practice uh, halfway through the season last year. He probably could have come out uh, in a deep receiver class and still been a top 50 pick. What are some of the other cons? He's got a small frame, kind of a limited route tree, primarily a right side receiver in that offense. And has kind of a limited release package. I think sometimes yeah. gets himself pinned to the sideline a little bit where he has to be a little bit more aggressive in the contested catches than just being a true separator. This guy, I think he's hamstrung a little bit because he has a lot of those mandatory outside releases in that No offense. question. So Absolutely. He gets, he gets Absolutely. pushed to the sideline a little too often. I agree. But I think his, his skill set and just being sudden, shifty, the strong hands, the speed, the mentality. The names I've written down, Tyler Lockett. Ted Ginn. I even went back to like a Rocket Ishmael, who was undersized, but played big, had the big speed, could do the returning stuff. So he's a really unique body and skill set. But I think there's a guy in every draft that kind of fits this profile. Yeah, I I, I really like uh, Tylen Wallace. But Dan, Andy like, blocks, Andy blocks. He, does, he gets after yes. Again, that's the, that's the thing with like, to me, so many of the similarities carry over to C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb, everyone was talking about at this stage of the process for C.D. as like, Oh, yeah, he's a top 15, top 20 pick. I don't know that that conversation is happening with Tylen Wallace. I, just, I think it's a very interesting uh, kind of difference there. Uh, Dane, I know you're going to talk about Tylen a little bit later in the show, so let's get to who your top senior is on offense uh, in this conference. Yep, I went with Wallace for a different category, so yep. change it up a little bit here. I went with Sam Ellinger, uh, quarterback okay. at Texas, who, I'll be honest, I did not expect to like him as much uh, as I did uh, by the time I was done studying last year's film. They run a zone read scheme, a lot of pocket movement in that Longhorns offense. It's, it's really designed to utilize his mobility, and it, it really allows him to, to flourish as a quarterback, both of his legs and his arm. Uh, he's extremely tough. He'll bounce off tacklers. He'll take a beating. Uh, he doesn't always play poised, but there's no question about the toughness. He needs to continue and improve the placement, uh, the rhythm, uh, just be more consistent in those areas. But in today's NFL, I think his style works. And I think Tim Tebow is going to be a comparison we hear a lot uh, with uh, with Ellinger. But I see a lot of similarities to Jalen Hurts. You talk about the off-field leadership, the on-field toughness, mm. the versatility to beat the defense with his legs, with his arm. I think it's going to surprise some folks, but I, I've talked to several teams that have that are going into the season with a late two, early third round grade on him, uh, just because that see what Jalen Hurts uh, meant to uh, in the scouting process last year. The Eagles take him in the second round. Ellinger, Ellinger, as long as he takes that next step here as a senior, which I, you know he's gotten better every single year. 
I, I think that he could be in a similar type of uh, conversation uh, as we talk about these senior quarterbacks as maybe being valued a little bit higher than we would have seen maybe even just five years ago. Ben, you, you've, you've done Ellinger. You had a couple games uh, of Sam. Well, what have you seen from him over the course of uh, his career? Well, the one issue that we talked about a lot last year before the Kansas State game with uh, Tom Luganville and Greg McElroy was they felt he was extremely talented, but they felt his potential and his skill set were a little bit maxed out at the moment for where his trajectory is as a prospect. And I've never quite understood that. And the more I dug into his tape from last year into this year, you don't see a whole lot of difference. He was a really good high school player coming out, came on the scene at Texas being that kind of guy. Uh, pushing some guys out like Shane Bouchelle over to SMU and things like that, winning the jobs. 6'3", 230. I really want to see this offense without Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay. Mm. I want to see who was helping who, who was making who in that offense. DuVernay made a lot of tough catches for this kid, a lot of dirty grabs over the middle on the sideline, moving the chains on third down from the slot. I want to see how he's going to respond with maybe some younger, younger receivers around him. And he really needs to step up and be the guy for this team. So I think the whole maxed out potential limited skill set is going to be really interesting now that there's a little more pressure on his shoulders going into 2020. They've got some youngsters at receiver that really caught my eye uh, over the course of last year. Uh, Jake Smith uh, was one kid. I know, Ben, you had brought him up when you did their game last year. So uh, it will be interesting to see what, what Ellinger does with a little bit of a younger supporting cast this year. Um, all right, let's get to uh, the, the next category here, and that's most intriguing underclassmen on offense. Ben, we can keep the conversation going with quarterback. We'll go to you first. Yeah, we're going to go with uh, an Iowa State quarterback here, Brock Purdy, who's 6'1", 210. He's headed into his junior year. He's a kid that had offers from Alabama. He was a prolific uh, high school quarterback coming out of the state of Arizona. His younger brother is also a prolific quarterback who, coincidentally, his name is Chubba, uh, heading to Florida State. Not too often we're going to be talking to Chubbas uh, in the top of the show. But um, really interesting player. And the first thing that I'm going to say is when you go back to 2017, when he's coming in as a – or excuse me, 2018, where he's coming in as a true freshman, he's a high recruit. He didn't win the job initially. They gave everybody a chance to win. It was Kyle Kemp and Zeb Nolan and himself. He didn't win the job. He didn't pout. He didn't go transfer when he lost the job. He didn't go cry to his parents and go find another starting job somewhere else. He got to work harder. And things happened in the season, and Kyle Kemp uh, had an MCL tear, and Zeb Nolan had some issues. Next thing you know, Brock Purdy's the guy, and he's the incumbent starter for the rest of the season. And then funny thing is, Zeb Nolan ends up transferring to North Dakota State has to compete with the true freshman last year. Oh, yeah, Trey Lance steals a job from him. So just funny when guys lose jobs, transfer, have to compete for other jobs. You don't see enough players in college football staying where they are and competing and fighting through the competitive adversity through your own team. And this was something that Tom Luganville talked a lot about two years ago when we did his game before Oklahoma and then the bowl game Washington State was just the adversity overcoming. You just don't see that in college football anymore. Typically, they lose a job, you're a high recruit, you're on your way out. And he's had some NFL guys around him. His offensive coordinator last year was Tom Manning, who was the Colts tight end coach in 2018, which was great. And then just going through his profile on the team, he faced the most pressures among any Big 12 quarterbacks last year. The offensive line wasn't great. He lost his big receiver in Hakeem Butler, had a true freshman running back in the backfield with him. Whole lot of adversity. He's a young kid, but you know what? He's a leader. He's competitive. 
He has a lot of poise inside the pocket, outside the pocket, plays a great anticipation, really good when he's in rhythm, especially those first reads. But he's a little limited skill set wise, a little limited arm, a little limited athleticism. But he has a lot of tools, a lot upstairs, and I really like what he's been through. I know there's a lot there to kind of dig into this kid, but um, I really like his makeup, and I'm excited for his junior season here. Yeah, Dane, I don't know if, you, if you've done Purdy. I, I did him earlier this week. I, I came away kind of like liking him. You know, he, mm-hmm. Ben, you're right. He, he is a little bit limited. He does not have the biggest arm in the world. I think his deep ball dies a little bit. Even when he tries to drive the ball to the outer reaches of the sideline, I think it kind of dies on the back end. But I think he, he's got a little bit of a, of a gunslinger mentality, especially in the middle of the field. You know, just his willingness, his trust to throw his guys open. Uh, if, the, if he sees the defender's back turned, he's pulling the trigger. He shows some anticipation. Again, as a young player, only a redshirt sophomore last year. So, uh, to me, like, this is a kid that um, I, I think that he's got the ability to stick in the NFL. Accurate to all areas. Uh, he dealt with you, – you talked about the pressure that he dealt with last year. His, his lower body mechanics need a lot of work. And he does get himself into trouble there. But I think he, he does a nice job of keeping his eyes downfield. I don't think he gets too distracted by all the busyness around him. I, there were a lot of things that I came away really liking. The poise, Fran. I just think the poise comes yeah. into play in so yeah. many different regards with him. He, yep. And obviously, he faced some fires in that pocket. He had true freshman running back. He had no help of receiver. Offensive line was very inconsistent. You had to have poise to survive in that offense on a week-to-week basis. And yep. sometimes I'd rather a quarterback start with that frenetic type of offense and then if things get a little bit more veteran and settle in now he's already seen what it's like when there's bullets flying and things hit the fan uh, I just really like what he's already been through to this point in his career and I couldn't help but see parallels to a guy we evaluated last year Jake Fromm uh, yeah. who you know faced a lot of that adversity at Georgia in terms of being the guy being the quarterback uh, and, and fending off the competition, a, a guy that does not have that superior skill set physically. Uh, you know, the ball floats a little bit more than you want uh, from uh, from Brock Purdy. But at the same time, you see the poise. You see him, his ability to work through things quickly. Yep. Uh, really like that about him. You see a little bit of twitchiness in his delivery and with the way he moves around. He's probably a better athlete. Not probably. I think he is a better athlete than Jake Fromm. But there are similar parallels there. And Fromm was a guy we thought, you know, going to be a day two pick, and he ends up falling to the fifth round. So Brock Purdy, I think he's a perfect pick for this category, most intriguing, because there's a lot of things with Brock Purdy that you can latch on to and say, this, okay, I'm, I'm on board. But it's just, is it enough to, uh, at the next level, uh, you know, really carve out a, a roster spot and get playing time. It's there's still, I think, a little bit about Brock Purdy we're going to learn. Dane, take us into your uh, candidate for this category. So, for most intriguing underclassmen, I went with Creed Humphrey, um, center from uh, Oklahoma. I think he's been playing college football for about eight years now. Um, uh, he's still <laughs> only a redshirt junior, so he could come back next year uh, in 2021 if he wanted. Uh, so I think he, you know, kind of like the first two guys I talked about, uh, Cosme, Ellinger, a guy with great intangibles. Uh, the pedigree is outstanding. Undisputed team leader uh, on the field. You see the quick hands. He'll tie up defenders quickly. He, he works his body into position so he can seal those run lanes. Uh, you can tell he's the high school, former high school wrestler. Uh, the agile lower body I really like. The upper and lower halves, they work in unison. That helps him create movement. Uh, which is really important because it looks like he has some pretty short arms. 
But I think this is a player that's in the conversation to be uh, maybe the best center in the country. And I think he's got a shot at uh, maybe even being a first-round pick with uh, what we've seen out of him the last two years. I just thought that he was like a rock-solid player. Like, he wasn't like, wow, dominant, but just rock-solid across the board. And we see guys, interior linemen, that kind of fit that mold go in the first round almost every year now, it seems. Uh, There's been a little bit more of a trend uh, for that position going late in round one. With, with that kind of a skill set. And he's a guy, it's funny you mentioned, like, he's been there forever. I remember when he first kind of popped on my radar was um, that sprint, the combine of 2019, so a couple of years ago, it was after his freshman year. And that was like, it was four seniors on the O-line and Creed Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And all those guys were at the combine just glowing. This kid's going to be the real deal next year. Like, keep an eye out for this kid. Rodney Anderson was that year. He was talking to me about uh, Creed Humphrey. So he's kind of been on my radar. And just being able to study him this offseason for the first time uh, was a lot of fun. So um, for my guy for this category, I couldn't pick between two, both on this Oklahoma team. And and you guys can interrupt me uh, for either guy. But uh, running back, uh, Kennedy Brooks. And then wide receiver, Charleston Rambo. Uh, You mentioned Jalen Hurts earlier, uh, Dave. I remember when I went back and studied Jalen Hurts, um, the first game of last year, they played Houston and, and they, you know, they put up like 55 points. And I remember watching that game early on, quick slant, Charleston Rambo to the house. And I said, okay, who is, who is this kid stepping in for Marquise Brown on the right side uh, of that formation? 6'1", 179 pounds. He's a little bit slight, but this kid's got instant speed, uh, yards after catchability. They tried to find different ways to get him the football and he flashes the ability to track it over the shoulder. A lot of production early in the year, then tailed off towards the back end. So I'm excited to see him a little bit more this year. I thought he had flashes of like a Darius Slayton type of player in terms of that body type and skill set. Uh, that was a name that I wrote down while watching Charleston Rambo. And then Kennedy Brooks, kind of a, almost a, interesting to compare him with Chuba Hubbard. Uh, Brooks is 5'11", 214. He's not that explosive athlete uh, that, uh, that uh, Chuba Hubbard is. But uh, this is a guy who's just really slippery, really smooth, sneaky athlete. Uh, I love his ability to make that first man miss. Really patient runner. Doesn't press the hole too quickly. Good in pass protection. He kind of reminded me of Jeremy Hill. Uh, and that was the guy that I wrote down while watching Kennedy Brooks. I really liked Jeremy Hill when he was coming out of LSU because I thought he just checked a lot of boxes. I look at Kennedy Brooks, maybe not as a guy that's like that uh, quintessential RB1, three down back. But I think he's going to find a role uh, in the NFL. And also, uh, for Eagles fans, not only did uh, he play with Jalen Hurts last year, but he also went to the same high school as Eagles defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway, former Texas grad. So a uh, little nugget there about Kennedy Brooks. All right. Well, it, with Brooks, I, I think you, you nailed it because I wrote down – first thing I wrote down for him, how subtle he was with his moves. Like yeah. He's just not overly explosive. He's not – uh, you know, this, this uh, super, uh, you know, elusive guy, but he still finds ways to create those missed tackles, just very subtle with his moves. Yep. And it, that equates to production. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting this year with Trey Sermon now at Ohio yeah. state yep. uh, as a senior transfer. Brooks is going to get more of a, a chance. I mean, the, Oklahoma's always got runners uh, in that backfield, but see what can, Brooks can do as the kind of the clear cut guy in that backfield. Yeah. Ridiculous yards per carry, too, with his touches. Yeah. I think entering this season, the last two years combined, it's only him and Travis Etienne with 200 carries and averaging 7.5. So that's a high volume with a prolific yards per touch, including uh, with that high volume. So pretty elite company there, Kennedy Brooks and Travis Etienne. 
Love that. So well, let's get over to the defensive side of the ball. Then let's let's just put it out on the table, guys. This is a conference known for their offensive players, not always for the defensive side. Uh, we're all going to talk about three different players here in this segment, the top senior on defense. Ben, uh, we will start with you. Well, I was hoping you were going to end with me here because I'm stealing two guys here. I couldn't decide. Really right, quick, right. just wanted to touch on Iowa State safety, Greg Eisworth, entering his senior season. He's an old Miss transfer, got good size, good speed. Be a smart leader, a team captain, was a new co- newcomer of the year in 2018 of his first season at Iowa State. Really interesting player there. But the guy I really want to talk about is this defensive tackle coming out of West Virginia, Darius Stills, who's 6'1", 282. I put on his tape last night for the first time after seeing that Phil Steele uh, dabbed him his Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Really, really impressive player. It was first team all Big 12 last year with 12 TFL, six sacks, good mix of run and pass defender. I thought he'd be more of a run plugger at 6'1, 282. But the first thing you see is combination of quick, sudden movements and powerful, pure strength. He's really quick off the ball. He's heavy handed, plays a really good pad level. He's kind of a leverage monster playing there at 6'1 uh, between the guards there. He's really loose hips. Good hand usage, can hold the point of attack and disengage, hustles and flows of the ball carrier all the way to the hashes, lots of bull rushes, twists, stunts, plays a great awareness with his eyes up. I wrote down Jonathan Babineau, and I don't think that's getting changed. I just saw a player like that that was big in the trenches, but a big loose player that could probably kick out the three-tech, maybe even edge in some uh, sub-packages, but a guy that's really loose, really active, plays a good hand usage and technique and pad level and eye level. Oh, yeah, he's got a brother who's a year behind him as well. Dante Stills wearing number 55, which I put on Twitter last night. I accidentally watched nearly a game thinking that Darius Stills was 55. Uh, that, that usually happens once or twice a year. But a uh, really impressive player, and he's been on a couple lists and a couple radars, and I got a chance to watch him uh, for the first time yesterday. The only thing is he likes to freelance at times because of that quickness off the ball. He'll shoot some gaps and occasionally leave his gaps at times. And some offensive tackles and guards really know how to play that first initial move, need some more counter moves and things like that. But I really like what he put on tape last year and is due for a dominant senior season. His dad played the NFL for uh, almost a decade too. Correct, so, yep. Uh, the, the bloodlines are there. Yeah, you know, when I watched these defensive tackles, I I struggled. Like I, There wasn't a lot of – not a, the seniors, not a lot of these guys to get excited about – Stills was one of five or six that I kind of latched onto and said, okay, there, there's something here. And, you know, he might not be a top 100 guy. He might be a fourth or fifth rounder, but there's still talent there that put him in as part of a defensive line rotation in the NFL. And I mean, he, he's going to be able to stick for a little bit. I like that. Dane, who did, uh, who did you want to bring up for this one? So I want to talk about Garrett Wallow, uh, linebacker at TCU, uh, super instinctive. He's always dialed in. And it's not surprising to, to learn that he's a former safety because he's a little undersized, 6'1", 220. But you also see the anticipation and coverage. Uh, you see the athleticism. He's going to go make plays. Led the conference in tackles uh, last season with 125. So you can see that range. You see the closing burst. Uh, the size working against him a little bit. Uh, he's a little over-aggressive at times. That'll backfire. But this is just an easy player to like. I, I think he goes into this season as – 
maybe a borderline top 100 pick. And I, I think he's better than some of these other linebackers that I see, uh, you know, hyped up around Twitter and, you know, guys like Surratt at North Carolina and, you know, some of these other guys that are, are talented, but I, I think Wallow is not getting the, uh, the respect that I think he deserves. Don't, uh, don't, don't disparage the, the Chaz Surratt uh, hype train. We'll, we'll get that narrative. He's okay. He's okay. <laughs> uh, I talked with Ross Blacklock, uh, his former teammate, Wallow's former teammate, um, this February, and Blacklock was raving about Wallow. Said, like, I'm going to really miss playing with him. You know, he's a dog. He's fearless. He's our leader uh, on the defensive side. He's going to be right here next year at the Combine. Uh, said he stood out immediately when he got on campus. So uh, some high praise there from Ross Blacklock. For Garrett Wallow. Uh, the guy I'm going to hit on here is a little bit of a, a long shot. I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. And you, you talk about Oklahoma, uh, you know, that defensive front, some of the changes they made last year with Alex Grinch, first year that, with that defensive scheme. They're going into year two. And I'm going to go with a guy who's going to be in his second year on campus for the Sooners, a guy that I think has got some positional versatility in Laron Stokes, senior defensive lineman, 6'4", 276 pounds. He can line up off the edge. A lot of his time was spent as kind of a four-eye technique, head up over the tackle. He'll slide inside uh, as a nose tackle as well at times. But uh, to me, this is a guy that's got position versatility. He times the snap well. He's got some initial quickness, really strong on contact. I think he's, a, uh, he's further along right now as a run player than he is as a pass rusher. But this is a guy who was homeschooled coming up in high school, went to went the junior college route, was a three-star JUCO recruit, ended up at Oklahoma, and became a starter right away. So uh, I think that this is a really interesting player that I think the arrow is kind of pointing up on. Again, I don't know that LaRon Stokes is going to end up being, you know, a top 50, top 70 pick, but I think that there's, a, there's certainly the arrow pointing up uh, on this kid, LaRon Stokes. Again, a guy that could be, when it's all said and done, more of an interior player as opposed to an edge guy, but uh, interesting player nonetheless, especially – in today's game where it's kind of positionless along the defensive line. Um, let's get to some under, intriguing underclassmen uh, on defense. Dane, uh, we'll come to you first for this one. Yeah, so I went with Caden uh, Stearns at Texas. Uh, he, I, I, don't, I don't think he's the best underclassman in the conference. I don't even know if he's, you know, one of the best safeties uh, in the conference, but he might be the most intriguing because mm-hmm. he'll flash that next-level talent just doesn't happen consistently and I, I've talked to some scouts who have a third round grade on him some have a fifth round grade on him and he's just a player who uh, you know he made an immediate impact in Austin uh, as a yep. freshman he shows up in the passing game you see the range you see him uh, show up in the run game his willingness to blow up the ball carrier but some of the mistakes uh, the missteps that stayed with me more than the highlights after I got done studying him so as we, as we go into the season, going into his junior year, you want to see maturation. You want to see him uh, eliminate some of those negative plays and really dial it back a little bit, but without, um, you know, too much where he's not playing, uh, showing that aggressive style that really helps him make plays as well. So Caden Stearns, really an intriguing player who uh, I think more so than what he's done the last two years, he's going to be drafted based off of what he shows uh, this year, 2020. Yeah, no question there, Dean. And he had a prolific true freshman season where he was a big 12 freshman of the year on defense and then missed a bunch of games in a chunk of the season last year, some injuries. So I think this junior year will really kind of weed out uh, how scouts and uh, really are going to view him as a prospect because he's really shown a little bit of everything there since being that high recruit in the top freshman. Yeah, he um, he jumped early you know, in his career. Ben, you mentioned uh, you know how productive he was as a true freshman. I remember watching Chris Boyd, uh, the Texas corner, a couple of years ago, and Stearns 
was just making plays sideline to sideline. And, and I've talked with a couple of the guys, uh, not just on that staff, but also guys that play there. I talked with Brandon Jones. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I talked with Malcolm Roach. And both guys just kind of raved about Caden Stearns. And I asked him, like, what was it like for him last year as he was kind of fighting through the injury? Like, well, what did you kind of see from him? And they just talked about how he really kind of embraced learning more about the game from the mental side, um, you know, just his approach. And it, nothing changed from that, that side. Uh, it's not like he got down to the dumps and woe is me. He was still going 100 miles an hour with everything he had to do off the field as he tried to work his way back. So I'm hoping he can be fully healthy uh, for this year. We can kind of see. We talked last mm-hmm. week about Kyle Hamilton and some of the big plays he made for Notre Dame as a true freshman. A couple years ago for me, that was Caden Stern. So I'm excited to see him, uh, you know, a, a year removed from those injury issues. His older brother, remember, you guys might remember uh, Jordan Stearns when he was at Oklahoma State, uh, ended up going to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's his, this is his younger brother, uh, Caden Stern. So uh, I agree. I, I'm really excited uh, about what Caden can bring. Ben, who's the, uh, the name that you wanted to hit on? And guys, this is a deep year at the safety position, particularly in the Big 12. We already talked Caden Stearns. We talked Greg Eisworth, Iowa State, TCU as a pair of, our Darius Washington and Trayvon Morig that are really interesting, but I'm going to stay with the Oklahoma state Cowboys here. This safety Colby Harvell Pell. I didn't know a whole lot going into this off season, but I threw his tape on. He was first team all big 12 last year as a true sophomore, huge season, five picks, 11 PBUs, two forced fumbles, only gave up two touchdowns, only one penalty committed in two years. And I put on this tape. This is a thick, thick safety at six foot 210 pounds with good ball skills good range good aggressiveness good tackling he loves to rip the ball out with those roll tackles really productive player remind me a little bit of uh, that former safety of the eagles michael lewis Hmm. who had a little bit more size to him had that physical presence but was still a pretty loose athlete there on the back end and i think the difference with colby harvell pell and those other safeties Caden Stearns, a little undersized, great speed. Or Darius Washington, he's a munchkin. He's like 178. Trayvon Morig, more of a back-end player. Harvell Pell's ability to have the size, the ball skills, the physicality, and some athleticism. I think he's the best combination of all these safeties and all the skill sets in the Big 12. But there's a lot of interesting talent on the back end. They all are slightly different. I'm really excited to see this whole Oklahoma State defense, which there's prospects kind of on every level, which we don't typically see out of the the Cowboys on a year-to-year basis. Sure. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I mentioned LaRon Stokes in the last segment. I want to talk about uh, Ronnie Perkins, who was the main my main adra- attraction for that Oklahoma defensive front when I did my film study last week. Uh, this is a kid who's a quick twitch pass rusher. He gets off the ball well. Relentless style. He's always looking for the football. Made some plays in pursuit. He can bend, turn the corner. You know, he's one of those outside rushers that you know can win high side. You know, with speed and quickness and flexibility. Doesn't have power to collapse the pocket right now. He will try and win inside, but uh, is still working through a couple different moves. He's had a couple really nice ones that I think he still has to work through. My biggest thing with Ronnie Perkins in the past game, he's just a little bit frenetic right now. Plays a little bit fast, a little bit out of control. That can be a good thing. You know, I talked about that, that relentless style where he's always chasing the ball. With the in terms of his pass rush moves and just kind of executing his you know his move against the offensive tackle, I think he's just a little bit too fast at this point. Just have to slow it down a little bit, and I think he'll get there. Um, you know, he can get a little bit pushed off his spot in the run game as well, but uh, and also some off field to work through. He was suspended, uh, I think, on for the uh, college football playoff game against LSU. But uh, Ronnie Perkins, uh, certainly a guy with NFL ability in terms of his ability to get after the quarterback. Um, all right, let's go to our biggest sleepers, guys. Guys, people that we think are flying under the radar. Ben, I will uh, come back to you to start this one off. 
Well, just getting ahead of the curve here, this is going to be tight end you for the 2020 season. That's the Iowa State Cyclones of a really interesting three-headed monster at tight end with Chase Allen, Dylan Schoner, and highlighted by Richard Jr., Charlie Kohler. And I know Iowa State offense doesn't get a whole lot of love. Uh, I know they have David Montgomery and Akeem Butler. We just talked Brock Purdy. They have a really interesting running back we'll talk. But you look at Charlie Kohler's size at 6'6", 252, and then his numbers in the pass game, 51 catches, nearly 700 yards, seven touchdowns. You can't compare NFL tight end numbers and college tight end numbers. They're completely different. If you're over 50 catches and 500 yards in college, that's a monster year for production for a tight end. Only at two drops on those 51 catches. Uh, he's a three-down tight end, in my opinion. He's a really good size, used all over the formation, the wing, the backfield, the slot, wide, in line. He's 51% in line, 38% slot, so he's got some versatility to play detached there. Really good contested catches with that size. He's more of a low-post rebounder where he wants to feel that defender, know where he is, put his butt on him and high point it. Good red zone threat. Just kind of a lumbering runner, though. Doesn't snap in and out of breaks, doesn't have that tool which over that vertical threat, not much of a yak threat either, which doesn't get you too excited. But what gets me excited is having a nearly 260-pound tight end that you don't have to take off the field. He's not an overwhelming blocker, but he can get his assignments done. And having that two-way disguise, and that's a player that can be efficient in both the run game and the pass game, is how you get on the field in the NFL and can manipulate defenses with your intent. If you have too many situational players, you become a little bit exposed on what you're doing. And, you know, he may not be the most exciting athletically, but I think his trajectory could turn into a Todd Heap type of player, which wasn't running by anybody, also a lumbering kind of big tight end, but had a good size, soft mitts, was aggressive at the catch point, and got his job done in the blocking. And I think that's what Charlie Kohler can do for Iowa State. Kohler's Kohler's awesome. Uh, I mean, I'm glad you talked about him because he deserves more pub. Uh, in my tight end preview uh, on the athletic last week, he was my tight end four uh, in terms of among all draft eligible tight ends in the nation. And that's fair. Do you think it, he was as lumbering as as I saw? I didn't really yeah. see that kind of that foot speed. He has that kind of right. wide shoulders. I don't know if his shoulder pads are a little oversized for this day and age <laughs> of football, but just that little bit of a top heavy lumbering feel to him. Yep. Yeah. He's quick to attack his patterns, but you don't see that start stop deception. You don't see suddenness. You don't see a ton of separation in his routes. And that was my biggest issue with him is just the lack of route deception. But what I loved about him was, and you hit on it was his contested catches. I mean, it's, it's almost like he's more comfortable with bodies around him than when he's wide open. Uh, he loves to box out. He has that subtle ability where uh, you know, he can create that little separation and time his attack, strong, confident hands. Um, it, it, what I really love about him is he's, he's never open, but he's always open because he makes himself <laughs> available uh, in his routes. And so this is a, a Norman, Oklahoma native who uh, the Sooners let get out of uh, their backyard. And I, I think they're regretting it because he's he, he's he's a really fun player who uh, the 40-yard dash might not look great. But when you just watch his tape, you get an immediate appreciation for what he does. And, uh, you know, obviously, I, I like that Todd Heap comparison. And, you know, that's, you know, we're going almost 20 years since Todd Heap was drafted. But his strengths, Kohler's strengths as a tight end still play in today's game. You know, it's funny. I think the conversation in the scout rooms are really good contested catches. 
why are they all contested catches? And it's kind of that double-edged sword on, he can make them with that body on his back, but why do you always have a body on your back? And I think that Mm -hmm. just speaks to his lack of snap in and out of breaks and that ability to separate within the routes. But hey, if you can make a catch in the red zone with a linebacker up your butt or a safety down in your chest there, that has a value in the NFL too. Dane, uh, who do you have here for your sleeper? Uh, so I went with, you know, we talked about Chuba Hubbard and, uh, you know, how much of an impact he made. And one of the reasons he was able to be so productive was the offensive line that he had blocking for him. Uh, and so I went with Tevin Jenkins, uh, tackle at Oklahoma State, played mostly right tackle, but did see a few starts at the left side. Uh, he's just, he's a mean dude. Like when I watched him, I just kept thinking like, what did this defensive player do to him? I mean, <laughs> what did he say? Because he is just going at him constantly. He loves the bully. Uh, he'll block through the echo of the whistle. He's a people mover. So a little top heavy at times, not the most agile in pass protection, but he gets the job done. This is a guy I have not heard his name talked about a ton, but his tape last year shows a draftable player. So Jenkins is a guy to keep on the radar. And as Scott Wright mentioned uh, earlier in the show, is making the move over to the uh, the left side here uh, this year. So it's certainly a name to keep an eye on. Guys, and I, I believe that's because the left tackle just recently retired, I right. believe, Dylan that Galloway, is who is supposed to be a redshirt senior. Supposed to have a lot of seniors on that offensive line. I think yeah. he uh, two months ago just recently departed football. Guys, we, we've gone this far into the discussion. We haven't talked about the runner-ups in the conference last year in the Baylor Bears. So, you know, obviously, they, they lose Matt Rule. They lose a bunch of players on both sides of the ball. I think nine of their 11 defensive starters are gone. Obviously, they lose Denzel Mims. Um, you know, they, they lost a lot of talent uh, on both sides and obviously most of their coaching staff. But uh, a couple guys just for you to keep an eye on, okay? Number one is a wide receiver who first stood out to me as a true freshman, and that's Tyquan Thornton. I remember watching Denzel Mims two years ago in the 2018 season and thinking like, dude, this, this Tyquan Thornton kid is flying off the ball at 6'3", 185 pounds, just flying, getting the top speed so quickly. I've talked to some guys that were on that staff down there, and obviously a lot of carryover from uh, Temple to Baylor. And they, you know, when they were at Temple, they had Robbie Anderson, and they've got him now with the Carolina Panthers. Um, but when those guys, they talk, they said, Tyquan Thornton is Robbie Anderson. Like, this is the same kind of player, same kind of talent. Uh, this is a guy who can get downfield and work vertically. I'm, I talked with Harrison Hand, uh, the Temple corner, who actually tra- transferred from Baylor to Temple. And I said, hey, who's a guy for Baylor that uh, I got to keep an eye on next year? And he told me, absolutely, Tyquan Thornton. He's the guy that's going to take the next jump uh, or take the next step next year really fast, gets in and out of breaks. Uh, this is a guy I think is going to be really, really fun. Uh, to watch here moving forward. And then one other guy as just a sleeper for the Baylor Bears, Tristan Ebner, senior running back, 5'11", 208, no starts, has not been a starter. We'll see if he's going to be a starter in this new scheme with the new offensive system there. But uh, John Lovett is also a senior who has been the starting running back. He's kind of a, a dirty work back. I think you look at Tristan Ebner as being more built for today's league. He's got a little bit more juice as a pass catcher. He's a little bit more shifty uh, in terms of, you know, his ability to kind of make that first man miss. I'd still like him to see get a little bit better as a pure runner, but I think he's got more value in the pass game and potential as a return man as well. Uh, so Tristan Edner would be a name for me to, to keep an eye on here. Moving yeah, I really forward. like John Lovett there, Fran, who's actually from down the street here yep, in Burlington, like New Jersey. Yep. feel pretty confident Matt Rule probably brought him up down to Baylor having all these Philly ties here. Yep. But he was the number one athlete coming out of the state of New Jersey a couple of years ago. All-state defensive back and running back. Actually led the team last year. So even though he had to split carries with the other senior, or excuse me, the other junior, and Jermichael Hasty. 
So he's a guy I've not seen John Lovett's name mentioned very much as far as a 2020 preview. Yeah, I think he's got he's just not like a super dynamic player at the position. Like he doesn't have a ton of uh, Zuzu to him as a runner. Like there, there's just some things I think he needs to play. Zuzu, all right. He's a willing blocker. <laughs> he does a lot. He does a lot of little things well. Uh, John Lovett. All right, let's get to guys who uh, have something to prove here. Dane, uh, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to talk about Tyler Wallace a little bit later in the show. This is your uh, your opportunity here. He's your candidate, I know, for this category. Yeah, I saved him for this this category because it's going to be really important. Coming off that ACL tear, um, it just showed that he is not only back, but uh, maybe even better than he was before. Uh, and, and, you know, it, you guys did a great job before explaining what makes him such a dynamic performer. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about a guy who's 5'11", uh, you know, somewhere between 185, 190 pounds. It's going to be so important that he shows that he has not lost a step. You know, it's going to be so important that he shows that, uh, you know, the speed is still there, that his ability to separate. Um, and, you know, he needs to become more of a mature route runner. Uh, you guys kind of hit on the lack of a route tree, the, the lack of his releases, things like that. Uh, but there's so much to like about this player. I think right now he is, uh, for me, he is my clear number three senior receiver behind Devontae Smith in Alabama, Nico Collins at Michigan. Uh, I think he's right there on that, to, for me at least, that second, third round, uh, air, that, that range. And so for him to come back healthy, showing what he can do, showing he's the same old Talon Wallace, uh, that's going to be really important for him to get back into that that top 50 mix that I think he's capable of. I'm really hoping he still has that same level of juice uh, coming off the knee injury for sure. Uh, guys, my, my guy that I'm bringing up here is really one of the most electric playmakers in all of college football and uh, a program that does not typically put out players uh, into the NFL draft, certainly at not high volume. And that's the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, you know, you look at Puka Williams, the running back, he's been making a huge impact for that team since he stepped on campus, was a big time high school athlete, coming out of the, uh, the New Orleans area, same high school uh, as LaRon Landry and Dewan Landry, uh, former NFL running back Alfred Blue, all coming out of uh, Hanville High School. And when you look at Puka Williams, this guy is an electric, dynamic, easy athlete, both straight line and laterally. This guy is a really easy mover, really impressive short area burst. He's got long speed. He eats up grass in a hurry. That shows up in the perimeter run game. That shows up in the passing game. I watch three or four games, and it felt like every week they were targeting him like 20, 25, 30 yards downfield on some kind of vertical pass concept. Ben, uh, we're coming right after your own heart here with the way that they used Puka Williams. Uh, built for today's game from that standpoint, I don't think that he's ever going to be like an, uh, a typical RB1, but I think he's got the ability to really be a dynamic role player for an NFL offense. You know, I wrote down like a Chris Thompson level of player he's been one of the best third down backs in the league whenever he's been healthy you look at puka williams the off field's going to be big because he's had some missteps some severe missteps off the field and he's a little bit on the smaller side but he is an electric athlete one of the more fun players really that i've studied so far in uh, the pre-draft process ben who's up? yeah fran i would just say put on his oklahoma game last oh, year yeah. where he had 137 yards took some huge hits from Kenneth Murray, really competitive game where they gave Oklahoma everything they can handle for three quarters there. I'm going to go with an Oklahoma defender who's had one of the stranger college careers, in my opinion, and that's linebacker Caleb Kelly, who has been in and out of the news for all sorts of reasons here. So he's a five-star high recruit coming in, starts 19 games his first two seasons, switches positions, and loses the job. 
Mm. He loses the job to incoming freshman Kenneth Murray and then Curtis Bolton, who was a senior at the time. So he went from a prolific freshman on the field immediately, all these starts, and then all of a sudden couldn't get himself on the field. And then the interesting thing with that is he's due for a senior year in 2019, but he has an ACL tear. So he missed almost the entire season, comes back for the last four games. So what does that mean? He can take a red shirt with the new red shirt rule. So he's now going in as a 2020 red shirt senior, despite playing four games last year. And obviously the four most important, the conference championship and this, the playoff game against LSU and X, Y, and Z. So really interesting use of the new red shirt rule, but a very interesting college career and, uh, you know, getting on the field, off the field, moving positions, dealing with a number of injuries, but he's an extremely physical, competitive player, loves to reroute and jam those slots and tight ends on his own drops. Doesn't have to turn and run in man coverage a whole lot. So he can really just thump those underneath uh, receivers departing in their route. He's a bit of a linear athlete, but he's fast. He's athletic, loves to kind of submarine tackle down low. But he's a really interesting player. I think he's fit for today's NFL game, a linebacker. He's 6'2", 234, and I think he moves like he's 215 with a competitive physical edge to him. I just think he has a lot to prove. Now that he's healthy, he's going to be an every-down player. He needs to be a leader of that defense. I just want to see what Caleb Kelly are we getting. Are we getting the five-star coming out, the early you know, production player, his freshman, sophomore year, or that up-and-down player the past two years? So I think he has a lot to prove, and I'm glad he came back for, uh, for his true senior campaign. I, I kind of wonder if they had beaten LSU in the semifinal, if he would have – What the? I mean, I'm sure he would have played in the national title, but it obviously would have burned mm-hmm. his red shirt. Uh, That's a great point there, Frank, because that would have been five. The rule is four games now. Yeah, so that would have burnt it. But obviously he uh, was on the field early, has a lot of snaps and experience. He probably could have come out, but obviously that wasn't how his senior season uh, was planned. All right, so let's go to a newcomer on the scene, either a transfer or some kind of a replacement player stepping in for a guy uh, now in the NFL. Dane, uh, we will go to you to start this one. So you mentioned earlier how – or maybe it was Ben about with Ellinger and, you know, Colin Johnson moving on, Duvernay moving on, uh, you know, who's Ellinger going to throw to and, you know, how is that going to impact him as a prospect? One of the incoming transfers for the Longhorns, Tariq Black, uh, Michigan transfer, transfer, a former top recruit uh, out of Connecticut. Uh, He was a top 15 uh, uh, recruit at his position uh, when he was coming out goes to Michigan and you see a guy that has good size. He's six, two and a half, 215 pounds. He runs pretty good routes. He he catches the ball. Well, I don't know that he has necessarily a distinguishing trait that really separates him, but he does everything fairly well. And I'm eager to see if he can find his footing, find a role in Austin. Um, He he could have a little bit of a breakout senior year, uh, you know, getting away from, all the issues in Ann Arbor with that passing game, going to Texas where the offense, uh, you know, it's there's, there's a new offensive coordinator, new, you know, with Tom Herman and a new play caller in town. There's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, a changeup, but you still have the same quarterback. You still have the same, I think, structure uh, with what they want to do. So I, I, Tariq Black is a guy I'm keeping my eye on this year. Love that. I'm going to go with a guy that's showing up to Baylor as a transfer from Arkansas State. Uh, this is a guy that Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, had tweeted about uh, last month back in June as one of the highest graded edges that he's done so far. And again, this is William Bradley King, 6'4", just under 250 pounds. I've watched a little bit 
on this kid. Okay. I, I don't have any full uh, Arkansas state games here in my basement, but I've got some crossover films that I was able to kind of mix and match and get uh, my hand on like 30, 40 plays or so excited to dive into full games on this kid. But he showed some really good flashes, man. He's got a really good long arm move. He mixes up uh, with some uh, some stutter steps and kind of some hesitation moves to throw the offensive tackle off. He's got a strong chop move as well. He's got some power. He's made some awesome plays out to the perimeter with a really high motor. Making that transfer over to Baylor, I've mentioned, they, lo- they lost like nine starters last year. So he's going to step in, have a chance to play for Dave Aranda, new defensive scheme in that 3-4 system. Really, really excited to see William Bradley King, the pass rusher, now with Baylor, uh, to see what he can do this year uh, in the Big 12. Ben, uh, who is your, who is your uh, newcomer on the scene here? I feel like Arkansas State's been pumping out some uh, prolific pass rushers the past yeah. couple of years. I'm blanking on some names. I think one guy was the Javon Rollin-Jones a couple That's years right. ago. Yep. and. Ronheem Bingham or something like that last year or two years ago. Really productive guys. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so we're going to go with the very rare interconference transfer here. We're going to bring over a West Virginia lineman down to Oklahoma State. Uh, Really interesting grad transfer. He only played two games last year, though, due to injury. Actually started at center in the opener and then right guard, despite being primarily the left guard the previous two years. But that's Josh Sills. Uh, who's an interior offensive lineman coming from West Virginia. He's a nasty kind of mauling, finishing interior offensive lineman. But the thing is, he looks like a tackle. He's 6'6", 338. He's got that tall, long, angular frame, a really kind of long torso there, long arms, loves to lock out and torque and finish guys. They'll pull him a lot in those power and gap schemes. Really interested to see how he's going to do in that primarily outside zone scheme at Oklahoma State. They'll still work in some power and some counter concepts as well. But a really interesting player with over 1,600 snaps played in the Big 12. You don't see this too often. And the interesting thing, Fran, at nearly 300 pounds, high school kicker and punter. Hmm. There you go. He's got some some lead behind that foot. Uh, (laughs) Ben, who's your uh, future stud? A guy that's not draft eligible for 2021, but a guy that we need to kind of have earmarked here for the future. Uh, and this was tough to pick because this conference is loaded up and down with intriguing freshmen, uh, either coming in or put up a good freshman season last year. But let's go back to the Iowa State Cyclones. We talked about their tight end, their safety, their quarterback. Might as well talk about this true freshman running back, Brees Hall, last year, who had 6'1", 215, had over 1,000 yards, really good uh, catching the ball in the backfield. 10 touchdowns. He's tall. He's upright, but these nasty slashing cuts was a freshman All-American, 207 touches, no fumbles. Uh, it was over a thousand yards all purpose. I think it was 897 rushing and 200 something catching 27 carries of 15 yards or more, 49 missed tackles for us. Both those led all freshman running backs. So hopefully uh, he gets his feet a little bit more wet next to Brock Purdy, a little bit more trust between the two of them, but he's a really prolific running back. Really fun to watch. Dane, let's go over to yours. Who's your uh, stud that we've got to keep an eye on? Yeah, I know. I, you and I, Fran, I think we're on the same page here with Spencer Rattler uh, taking the reins uh, as the next in line uh, for, to, at the Oklahoma quarterback position. Uh, Jalen Hurts moving on. Spencer Rattler comes in. And you know, I don't really pay too much attention to the recruiting rankings, uh, but I do watch the U.S. Army All-American Bowl every year. And Spencer Rattler was a guy last year who really stood out as – you know, he's undersized. He's six foot, low over 200, 200 pounds, but he is a lot of fun to watch. And we saw it a little bit this past year. Um, he played in three games and 
whenever they threw him out there, he made plays either with his legs or or his arm. And uh, I just, I I think he's going to be a player that uh, really makes a name for himself pretty quickly. And in in that scheme with Lincoln Riley and all the weapons they have, you know, we talked about a few of them already. So Spencer Rattler, only a redshirt freshman, but uh, yeah, we're going to hear plenty about him this year. Yeah, and if anybody needs a little primer on Spencer Rattler, throw on the Netflix series QB1, which he was featured on. So it was really interesting to see him in his final year of high school, into the recruiting process, seeing Lincoln Riley attend some of his high school games. You go the year before and watch uh, Justin Fields on that show as well. Really cool kind of profile of uh, some high, highly touted high school senior quarterbacks. And just a little bit of an insight into him. I talked with uh, Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma, now with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, down at the Senior Bowl. Talked with Neville about a bunch of his former teammates, but I asked him specifically about Radler and just what it was like seeing him on the scout team every single day in practice. And he, his face just, like, lit up. He was like, dude, he's going to be so special. Position comes so easy for him. The throws he was able to make, that confidence shows up every single day. And it wasn't like going against the look team every single day. It was like going up against another starting quarterback in the Big 12 every single day of practice. He treated every day like a game, really appreciated his mentality because it really just tried to make all of us better, and he got better from the start of the year. So I thought that was a little bit of interesting insight there from Neville Gallimore into Spencer Rattler. And Fran, really quick, if anything is about Spencer Rattler, just to talk about his prolific nature, the state of Arizona has been pumping out quarterback prospects to college football consistently for a good 10 to 15 years. Whether you go back to, you know, Nick Foles or even Brett Hundley being prolific at Chandler. and Brock Purdy uh, some of, those, of records in Arizona. No question. And Spencer Rattler shattered all those records yep. while missing a couple games his senior season as well for some off the field stuff. So if that speaks to just what he's done in his career, not only throwing, but running as well, there's a video of him. He looks like he's 5'10", 190, and there's a video of him a couple weeks ago throwing the ball 75 yards in the air so a really loose athlete loose arm despite that size he's gonna have a lot of kyler murray in him uh with that strong arm in the athleticism so perfect fit down there in oklahoma best way to wrap up this big 12 preview just a simple okay cool hook them uh great stuff from you both <laughs> of you guys uh thanks so much once again for bringing us all, all these players all this insight here to the journey of the draft podcast driven by triple a Well, great stuff there from both Ben and Dane. Hope you guys enjoyed that in-draft buzz. Real quick, we're just going to hit on uh, one one comment we got recently over on our Apple Podcast page from Cardfan2018, saying that this is one of his favorite podcasts. Strong content, no filler, always a five-star rating. So, Cardfan, thanks so much for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Best way to throw us your support. If you enjoy what you're hearing each and every week, if you are a consistent subscriber, just jump on wherever you listen. Throw us a rating. If you leave us a comment, if you leave it a question, we'll answer it on here as well. It could be uh, a trait-related question with a scouting process. It could be you know some behind-the-scenes access stuff with college football and the NFL draft, or it could be about a player. Whatever is on your mind, if you want to throw a question on there, we will answer it here in this segment. If not, if you want to throw us a comment, we'll mention we'll give you a shout-out here uh, at the end of the show. Thanks so much to CardFan2018, and thanks so much to all of you out there for listening to another edition here of the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Next week, we're going out west. We're going to have a little bit of a West Coast swing with the Pac-12. A lot of really fun players out west. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Pac-12, one of the conferences that have already announced that they are doing conference-only play for the 2020 season. So we will be talking about that in a big way next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.